0: And welcome to Big Gay Energy. I'm Brie. I'm Theora. And I'm Caitlin. Come along with us while we dive into the fun and nuances of queer media. Representation matters, and we're here to talk about it.
1: back friends um today we have a very special guest joining us please welcome the incredibly talented casting director steven tyler o'connor we are so excited to talk to you today
2: thanks for having me
1: yeah
3: so our first question has to be what do you do for your job and how did you get started
2: um (laughs) what do i do i destroy people's (laughs) dreams no um (laughs)
1: Well then, all the power. power. So much power.
2: I feel like so many actors feel that way about casting, and I'm always like, "No, I want you to be it." Like, if you are it, that makes my job so much easier. <laughs> um, I went to an acting school, um, in New York, and then graduated in '08, and then the economy collapsed in '08. Mm, um, Bye, Caitlin. Already, I'm
0: so sorry. <laughs> it's a bit um, by now, so we just keep it in.
2: Of course. Um, no, so I went to an acting school and needed an internship in order to graduate. I got an internship um, in casting at CBS Paramount um, in New York. And then um, the I graduated, the economy was in free fall. And uh, one of my mentors, uh, Katharina Eggman, heard that Jennifer McNamara's office at NBC was looking for an assistant and she recommended me for the job. Um, so I sort of fell into it as sometimes people in casting do. Um, and I was like, okay, well, I'm getting paid 20 bucks an hour. And that's better than the no money I've been making. Um, Cause the restaurant that I worked at had closed. So I sort of jumped into it and I worked um, in Jen's office for four years, four pilot seasons. And I was like, Oh, I'm good at this. And so when I moved to Los Angeles, I was like, Oh, I'm going to be an actor again. But everybody I knew in casting knew me as like a casting assistant. So then I was like, okay, why, why am I this? Like, this industry is already so hard. Why am I wanting to, you know, row upstream even more? So I was just like, let me, let's embrace being in casting. And so then I did that and I was in a casting assistant on production and then worked my way up um, from there. And a lot of like what we do, like on a TV show, I do a lot of TV. So that's the the cycle of a TV show is a little bit easier. You get a script, you read it, you identify, uh, you know, are there characters in it that are guest stars or co-stars that we've previously established that we need to make sure that they're available. Um, and then who are the new characters? And then you write up the character description and the breakdown. And you, if you feel like you have a good handle on the show, then you don't necessarily have to talk to your showrunner about it. But if it's a new show or if there's something specific, You want your showrunner to be like are you looking for anything specific for these characters you have a creative conversation about what they want and then we put out a breakdown we get pitches from agents and managers and submissions and we go through and we mark up the sides we select people to tape and then they tape we watch those tapes um we usually if it's a guest star or a co-star we usually won't have callbacks it's you because we'll usually have enough people who who get it just from the auditions? Um, we send that to our showrunner. They make decisions, and then it goes to the studio and the network for approval. And then we we hire people.
3: And
0: there it is. A
3: lot of approving, yeah.
0: <laughs> yes, <laughs> <laughs> but it, I mean that's quite a process, and <laughs> it sounds um, a lot of steps. but That's really cool. Um, people never really get to know what casting is like and how you guys do your job. So I think it's really cool for people to, to you know, kind of get an insight into that. But uh, our next question is, what's been your favorite project to cast, if
2: you have one? Yeah, so I think I have a couple. I think the one that's been like the most special for me is uh, a Disney Channel show that I worked on actually called Andy Mack. Um, It was Disney's first Asian-led family show. It was their first show with an out gay series regular character who comes out and says that he's gay. Um, It's a very special. It's also the first show that I had been on from pilot through finale. So I was there during the entire process um and then i worked on the fourth season of 13 reasons why for netflix that was just really cool because it was a show that i watched as a fan and then the fact that i got to work on it was really cool and really exciting and then when i told people oh i work on 13 reasons it's like they had heard of it um kids had heard of it and like my cousins had heard of andy mac but you talk to adults most adults haven't you know they're not watching this on disney channel that's not the demo um So I would say those two shows are pretty, pretty special. And I guess I'd also have to say The Healing Powers of Dude, my Netflix show that won me my Emmy, like that was also a very special show. Um, So I I, I have to put them in the mix as well.
3: (laughs) Well, adults should be watching Indian Mac because
1: I think it's amazing.
2: It's an amazing... It got me
1: in the pilot. So it seems like you, from what you've described as like your favorite projects to work on, you've been involved in casting in a, a variety of different shows from like adults to children. Is there a different approach when you're casting adults versus children for shows or movies?
2: Um, I don't know if there's a different approach necessarily, but there's a level of, you know, just by this year essence of they're an adult and therefore they're older and they've been doing this longer. You know, if you're pursuing a serious regular and it's an, an, a, an established or seasoned actor, you have an entire, you know, body of work that you can point to to be like, oh, yes, they can do it. With kids, there's always that concern of can they handle being a serious regular on a TV show? And the thing is, there are kids who get it and you just like inherently know that they have what it takes, um, because not everybody can do it. You know, it is it's long days on set and it's you know, it's a big thing. and in children's programming, or when you're casting a kid, there's just this this extra consideration of like, do we think they can handle it? Um, but otherwise, the approach is still the same. It's like we want people who are authentic, who are real, who make the material sound organic and not like somebody reading lines. And that's the important thing. And we were talking about earlier, like the process, and I think there is such a long process and it's a process that I don't think a lot of actors know and a lot of actors don't know how far along they go in the process too. And I think that's hard, but on one hand, I just don't think it's with the amount of people that we audition, it's not possible for us to re- reach out to every single person's reps afterwards, but like it's not moving forward or it went here. Like, cause there's so many times when, okay, we sent them to producers and the producers chose the other person. Well, why? I don't know. My showrunner doesn't have to tell me why they're making the decision that they're making. They just say, We want this person, and that's who I go with. So sometimes actors don't realize that they go to producers or they go to the studio and the studio approved somebody else. Like actors don't know, and every actor is different. Some people don't want to know, some people do. And it's just that's so much work on top of everything else that we're doing. We don't have the infrastructure to be delivering that specific kind of feedback to everybody on every project.
3: Have you seen like politics get involved kind of in like casting?
2: Oh, sure. Like, I mean, vision? yeah, I mean, we're all human. So there's definitely, oh, I've, you know, I've heard, I've, I've, a friend of mine worked with this person and they didn't have a good time, or oh, we're not fans of them here at the studio, or blah, 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 blah. Like there's, there's little things that get happen that happen. And when you get told that, you try to navigate that and there's also the own like my own politics of like i'm a huge i sit on the equity entertainment committee for the casting society and like i'm all about representative and authentic and inclusive casting and so my philosophy with a lot of roles is why can't it be x why can't it be you know someone who's limb different or why can't this be a woman or what have you and there's so for me i'm trying to infuse that in the projects that i'm working on too so i have my own agenda of representative inclusive and authentic casting that i bring to the projects that i that i bring in and then sometimes you have showrunners or directors who don't want to participate in that or they don't respond to those those actors and there's only so much you can do in conversation but at least i'm trying and so there are those kind of politics and look sometimes you you hear directors or producers say some pretty awful things and you're just like, okay, wow, how do I take that and recalibrate and still get the best actor for the role and still advocate for people who are right, who are maybe being dismissed for one reason or another.
3: Yeah. That's a lot. But speaking of inclusive casting, in your bio, it says you champion for inclusive casting for underrepresented communities. How exactly do you go about doing that? Is it just like trying to get more representation in a cast if they're not even in there?
2: Yeah, so there's it's a mix of like, A, the projects we take on. So in The Healing Powers of Dude, um, the show is about a little boy who deals with social anxiety. And so we use visual effects to sort of show what he's going through. But one of his best friends was a wheelchair user. And the um, the showrunners I think originally in the script, it was Spina Bifida, but that was just a placeholder. They were like, we want to find somebody who uses a wheelchair and then we will cater the role to them so we did a huge international open call we found sophie kim out of North, uh northern california um she has muscular dystrophy and so therefore her character had muscular dystrophy that was a show that we took on where we knew we would want to cast authentically and that was part of the dna of the show already they were already looking for that on my apple show best foot forward it's about a boy who's limb different so we did a big international open call and found logan out of new jersey um who was very concerned about missing uh missing baseball season um (laughs) the lead of a show and he's like but baseball um (laughs) so we have certain projects or shows that come to us that it's built into the dna in the show and then when it's not i'm very big on like well why can't it be this person i try to always have you know a a wide variety of types and communities in my selects link that i sent to my producers because while they probably didn't envision this character being limb different if the if the actor's really good and they happen to be that they could be like oh i never thought it could be that way i think that's part of the challenge is i think for the most part it's not malicious it's just we're we're asconced in our own privilege of whether it's or white privilege if there's straight privilege if there's gender privilege or if there's ability privilege and i think that it's not malicious sometimes people just they're not aware of it until i can until i come in and say well why can't this character be in a wheelchair what about this says that they can't um and then that that, that opens up and sparks the conversation so i very much come at it of why not, and I think I think that came from a just my own experiences with having a little brother who was blind. But when I worked at NBC, Jen would bring in women for traditionally male roles, or it was male in the script. She'd bring in women all the time for them, and um, she was like, "Why can't it be?" And I was like, "Oh, I, I love that." So that was one of the, like one of the lessons that I learned early on from Jen that I really loved. Why can't it be? And then let them let the showrunner, let the director tell you why it can't be. Because sometimes they may have a creative or an, an actual reason behind it. And other times they're just like, oh, I never even thought about that. And you, and that's where I feel like I can play my small part to sort of broaden their perception and open up their notion of what a role could be.
0: Has there, has there ever been a time where you fought for that kind of inclusive, where you like really had to, to like get in there and fight for it or
2: yeah so i was uh, i was working on 13 reasons and there was a, a role um and it came down to the two choices that it came down to was what i felt like was a pretty standard choice of like an old white straight guy and then there was like a younger female role for this like chief of police role and i thought and then, so we got, got down to it and the decision was uh, the old white guy. And I was like, okay, let me call up Brian. And I was like, hey, Brian, I wanna talk to you about this role. This role had two lines, keep in mind. So like, it's a, there it was a co-star. And I was like, I was just wondering why you chose the person that you did. And he goes, uh, why? <laughs> and I was like, well, I think, the female role with what's going on in the scene. And I kind of delved into my pitch about why it would be really interesting to have a woman play that role. And he's like, "Stephen, I'm gonna let you know, I have not thought about this role nearly as much as you have. And I was like, well, that's why you hired me. Like, it's my job to really think about this. So then the next day we had a call and he's like, I'm gonna stick with my choice, but here's why. And ultimately he was making a conversation about the patriarchy and how they're trying to silence the voices of the youth and also, Are like female, the female lead that season. So he was like, that creatively works with what we're trying to build in this moment. And I was like, cool, got it. And so then we moved forward, but it was like, he appreciated that I had really thought in depth about it. So while I didn't, didn't necessarily win that battle, it was a conversation that was had. And whenever I can, I will try to advocate for for someone, if I really think that they can do it. Because it's like, if all things are equal, you know, let's just go with who could be, if if, if all things are equal, let's go with who could be interesting. But I may not have won that battle, but he was open to that conversation. And I, and I am not afraid of having those conversations with creatives. Um, and if all things are equal, why not be more inclusive?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it sounds like from what you're describing, there's definitely like a power structure that goes on in terms of like, And a process of how people get casted and it seems like your role is really like more like the an advocate um absolutely yeah that kind of how that goes
2: and sometimes actors don't realize and and this is where you know i i don't think actors realize how much we are advocating for them and how much we are trying to champion them from behind the scenes um in a very different way i had a friend who was like i need to book something in the next 30 days or i'm gonna get deported and i was working on a nickelodeon show that's not really his vibe but there was like there is this role it's a co-star like we're like and he's not a co-star he was just the lead of a movie that had been at tiff but i was like i maybe i can like grease those wheels to help you so you book something so you don't get deported and then his reps were like no he's offer only and i'm like there's no way i'm getting him an offer for this i get it he's a co-star but like You know, and so it's like people don't, I I advocate for actors all the time. I just think that for a lot of actors, casting is also the face of the industry. And so while it's not our fault, it's easier to blame us because we're the tangible thing in front of them as opposed to the many, many processes that it could happen.
1: Yeah, it seems like it would be really easy to like conflate casting with the reason I did or did not get cast, like you said.
2: Very much so. And especially if we're talking like first round, we are looking for, are you the right vibe? Are you the right, you know, person that is this role? Are you in this wheelhouse? Are you, are you this person? And so, so many actors are like, Oh, I flubbed this line. I said Tuesday instead of Wednesday. I'm like, nobody ever is saying, you know, they were really good, but they said Tuesday and not Wednesday. So we can't hire them. Like that doesn't happen. We're not sitting there, an audition isn't a checklist to making sure you got everything. It's like, are you the right vibe? Are you this person? And I think so many actors want to find a reason to to say, oh, I didn't get it. So if you need to say it's because you flubbed that line, if sure, but like that's not it. That's not the reason why. Because it's also not realistic. On set. On set, we would just you know, do like do a pickup or do it in ADR, or who knows, maybe we're not even on you for that. So we can pull the audio from one of your other takes. Like and in an actual like filming situation, it doesn't matter. You flub a line, we, we just pick it up right then. So auditions are a little bit different. And so it's like, I think actors need to really grasp that as well.
3: Like learning how to audition is a skill in itself.
2: Yes. And
3: it's difficult. <laughs> But I love that you said the Jen, I believe, who you worked with always brought in females for male roles. Um it, years ago at least, I feel like there were so many like male heavy shows, especially in theater as well. And but there's like so many females. So I just I like that it's changing. But do you feel like shows are just trying to check boxes so they're like diverse
2: i i definitely feel like every i mean every show is different but i do feel like there are some shows where inclusivity and representation and authenticity is built into the dna of the show and i think that's great and you're and they're doing a lot of that and i think those shows are sort of pressuring other shows to kind of get with the times so this might be my controversial opinion but if a show or a network was doing zero percent of that before and now they're doing five percent and it feels checkboxy i think that is a step in the right direction because then the hope is they do that enough and they see success that they then want programming to feel organic because there's been a lot of shows that i watch and i'm like well that feels that feels like oh last minute let's add on this layer um yeah mm-hmm. but I, I and so i do feel that some shows can come across that way but i think in the grand scheme of things, it's getting them to do it and eventually they're just going to do it. And then maybe that 5% will move to 10%, maybe you'll move it to you know, 25% and like it, we're moving towards an eventual goal. Um, so I think that that's exciting, but I, there's a lot of times when it feels checkboxy and I think it's just because we're in this growth period and then eventually it will even out, I hope.
1: Yeah, it's like a transition phase basically. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I'm just sick of hearing that
3: Oh, they, there's the token gay person, and like, it's my dad. My dad always says this. And I'm like, well, it's good that there's actually this representation no matter what. And I'm like, can you can you just stop
0: talking? Well, as long as I yeah. kill him off.
2: <laughs> yes. don't
0: kill him off. Yes, don't kill him off.
2: But that's where I feel like shows that do it well, it doesn't feel checkboxy. And there are some shows where it does feel checkboxy and the hope is like creatively, they get to a place where it feels organic. Um, But yeah, there are definitely shows where I feel that way too, but I would prefer the representation because it was forced than no representation.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah. Sometimes it does feel like they're trying on a new, like a new outfit that doesn't doesn't exactly fit them yet, but that's a good. That's a really good perspective. So thank you for that. Of course. Um, because a lot of people like to complain. Yeah. Oh
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, especially on Twitter.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, but you m- you mentioned casting for Best Foot Forward before, but can you tell us a little more about the process of casting the lead for that?
2: Yeah. So we. You know we got the script we were you know talking about it we so what we did is we worked we put together a traditional breakdown like we do for every role of uh, like the character is male you know 11 to t- 11 to 13 any ethnicity um you know limb different actors are encouraged to submit and then here's the blurb about his personality and then what we did is we created a couple of uh, graphics for like a a flyer and it was posted on Instagram and Twitter and sort of spread amongst communities. And then there were certain researches or uh, we did a bunch of research on certain, uh, organizations and like summer camps, um, that cater to the limb different community. We reached out to them and said, Hey, will you share this graphic with your membership Um, The show is based off of Josh Sundquist and um, a book that he wrote. So Josh is very well known in the Limb Different community um, and he's very funny and has a lot of followers. So he also posted the flyer. And so it just sort of like went out and it became a real grassroots community. And then they would reach out to me um, and I would sort of walk them through the process and hold their hands on how to audition and what to do. Um, And I think we had probably like a couple hundred kids um, audition. We narrowed it down to our top three. Then we hired an acting coach, uh, to work with the kids and do a couple of sessions, um, and work on the audition material. Um, and then in combination with us working with the kids and the recommendation of the acting coach, we sort of identified our, our top choice. Um, and then we put, uh, him with an agent. So that way the agent could negotiate his deal because I would never want to throw you know, a parent mm. to just figure it oh out gosh. with, with yeah. Apple BA. <laughs>
1: That's a lot.
3: <laughs> <laughs> they would get so overwhelmed so yeah. quickly.
2: Yeah, so we, we uh, set him up uh, with an agent and then she sort of took the deal and then he closed and then I searched for the rest of the family.
3: That's not typical, right? Like you don't bring in acting coaches for kids, it's only because it was like- Yeah, it's a- because
2: these, these kids, none of them were actors you know, necessarily by, it wasn't like Logan was doing community theater and acting and had Mm -hmm. that infrastructure already. He was just, you know, a regular preteen boy who plays soccer and baseball and like, just did this on a whim. So there was a level of, can he take adjustments? Can he, you know, really handle what, what we're going to need from him. Um, And, and Logan was great. He was super, super good in the show. And I'm, Hoping we get a second season.
3: Isn't everybody?
0: Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: Sorry. <laughs> We're waiting on so many things.
0: <laughs> to get seasons. Or rejuvenated, if you will.
1: <laughs> so to, to piggyback a little bit off of the best foot forward and the auditioning and casting, really. So in that uh, project, essentially, a the character, the, the actor matched the the um, actor in terms of like lived experience for that particular role. Um, why is it important to cast people who have the lived experience for those particular roles? Doesn't I make think a, a lot of it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it comes down to a. There's just an authenticity that's there, you know. I think one of the great things about acting is like the magic if, like, what if I was this? And I do think that acting allows people to pretend to be other people and sort of experience different walks of life. And I think that's anything that's wonderful with what actors can do and how they can evolve and and shapeshift, but I think that when you're dealing with something to where them being limb different is so central to the experience and to the story that we're telling that It's about opportunity. The limb different community doesn't get as much opportunity as people who aren't limb different. And so giving that community the opportunity to portray themselves when, again, that identity is so crucial to it, Um, you know, it's I think that when when them being whatever minority that it is is central to the character that it behooves productions to be authentic because they have that lived experience where it's real and they haven't been getting the opportunity if it's something where like oh they just happen to be then i think that's like gravy but not necessarily required
1: yeah that absolutely makes sense especially for this project it totally makes sense
2: and it's cute like i know it's a kids and family show but like I watched it, I watched the whole season, and I think that it's it's definitely, you know, a little bit more elevated because it's on Apple, and Apple is, like, prestige, and I just think that it's, it's a different kind of family show that you see, and there were just so many wonderful actors in it, and so I was so excited to see everybody, like, kind of come together, and um, so I definitely think people should stream it on Apple.
3: <laughs> okay, yes, everybody go stream it. Season two. Gotta get season two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but going back to the beginning again, when you are working as a casting assistant in the very beginning, what was it like, like learning to be in casting? And you were an assistant on a lot of the shows I grew up with, like Liv and Maddie and stuff like that. So you did a great job. I don't know what role you actually had in it, but
2: good job. The the process for me was a lot of, you know, Jen would come and like, just give me lists of people or she would call me like, oh, so-and-so from this. And so it was a lot of like, oh, I need to be watching TV. I need to be watching what's out there because that's, it's not just entertainment. Like that's part of my job. I need to know the actor landscape, I need to know who's out there. And then I would look at who we were calling in and then I would watch our selects and I would get to know the actors that we were calling in for all of our projects and getting to know them that way. And it, the the mom on my Apple show, I met because we cast her in a pilot my very first year at NBC back in 2009. Wow. And so like, we're talking, you know, over a decade later, I am now like circling back and be like, hey Joy, and she auditioned for it and like fought for the role and she really fought for it. And she booked it based on, because we, we met, you know, 13 years ago. So it was a lot of like, pay attention to the people that I'm bringing in, pay attention to like why I'm choosing this person as a select versus this person. And then as I was there longer, then I was able to be in the room and I was able to have opinions or I was at least asked my opinion. And I sort of gave my two cents on how I interpreted some people. And then you just sort of keep doing it. And I paid a lot of attention to Jen McNamara. um, When Jen was on maternity leave, Marsha DeBonis came in and covered her maternity leave. And so really watching Jen and Marsha and how they interact with actors and why they're responding to certain people versus others. And then when you get more involved, also understanding the the dynamics of, like like we were talking about earlier, the politics, oh, this actor was on an NBC show before. NBC wants to try to find them something new. So maybe we spend a little bit of extra time with them because, you know, our bosses are gonna wanna know how, how they did and if they were good. So it's like learning how to navigate all of that and just like seeing how they worked with actors and how they championed people, like that is sort of, I had really great role models to look up to, to sort of follow in their footsteps and so i'm just trying to emulate them um as best i can
3: is that why when somebody is like on a network show any like channel they always show up in a bunch of other shows for like the same company
2: (laughs) i think there's a lot of like when uh when a team likes somebody they want to keep them employed and they want to keep them in the family because there's also a level of like well if you know as terrible as it sounds well if we own them then nobody else can have them yeah <laughs> so we want to keep you happy and we want to keep you employed and look i say this you know for the most part people who do that like generally have to be like nice to work with and fun to be around mm-hmm. because if you're not people aren't going to want to jump through those hoops for you like no one's i i always say like no one's above getting hit by a bus like any character could be written off for any reason, and you know like it just is what it is and so if you're not my big thing is I tell actors are three things under your control being prepared being on time and being fun to work with that's it so if you're not fun to work with we're not going to be bending over backwards trying to keep you gainfully employed yeah so I think and that's obviously not all of it but yes when you have somebody who's like a star on the show
1: hi Caitlin hi Caitlin
3: I'm back, kind
2: of. Now I'm back. When when you have somebody who's like a star of a show, they obviously want, you know, they want to be in business with you if they're, if they're willing to do that. And I think that that's always a good place to be in. But yeah, generally it's that they want to keep them, keep them in the family so no one else can get them. Fair.
0: That makes sense. It does make sense. Um, so we saw that you were a script coordinator for Casey Undercover. Can you tell us a little bit about what that entailed?
2: Yeah. So I had um you know, I had done the pilot with Suzanne Goddard Smythe, and uh towards the end of the pilot process, uh, Suzanne had found out from the showrunner Rob that, you know, they were, you know, staffing up the writer's room. And I had expressed interest in, you know, wanting to get in the writer's room, potentially, you know, writing a script, whatever. And so I uh met and sort of like because i had never been a screener before and sort of interviewed for rob it's a lot of being able to type what people are saying as they say it um and taking those notes um and so i did that and i did it for the entire first season um so you're in the room when you're when the writers are br- like breaking story just talking about different storylines um organizing that and then when we go to break an episode it's about typing up what's being pitched. So that way I can give those notes to the writers to then actually go write what we discussed in the room. k um, theater Cover is what we call, it was room written. So all of, all of the writers, we were all in the room and we were all working on the script together. Um, sometimes we would sort of pitch out the episode and then the writers would all break off and go write certain scenes. And then we would come back together. But for the most part, everything was sort of done with everybody. Um, some shows are like, the writers will break, you know, three or four episodes and then the writers go off to go write their individual episodes and then you come back. Uh, Casey Undercover was a little bit different. Um, And it was, you know, a traditional Disney multi-cam. So it's like we had a table read on Monday, uh, producers run through Tuesday, network run through Wednesday, and then we shot Thursday, Friday. Um, And during that process, you always want to sort of be After each, after the table read and the run throughs, you revise the script and change and you change the jokes that didn't land or you adjust to the network notes that you get. But then like, you have another table read on Monday. So when we went through pre-production on Casey Undercover, by the time that we started filming, we we already had six episodes ready to go. So that gave us some cushion to break the next set of episodes and we weren't always like scrambling or panicked. But I think that was that's sort of like the general and like you're in charge of like distributing the scripts to the cast and to the crew and making sure that all the revisions are noted and people know what changed and coordinating with casting. Hey, we're discussing this character in episode 108 and, you know, letting Suzanne, you know, get into that. So that way, if that actor happened to not be available, we could get ahead of it Um, and just coordinating making sure that people know what's happening, because if we're changing the name of the of the. The froyo shop then you know set needs like our set deck needs to know that and the art department needs to know that and oh it's a coffee shop now and not a chinese food restaurant so that's a whole set of props and everything so it's about making sure that you're communicating with everybody about what's happening with a particular script or what's happening in process
3: sounds like a lot of running around yeah
2: (laughs) a lot of emails
0: (laughs) (laughs) The okay, communication well, hub, if you will.
2: Yes. Yeah.
0: Um,
3: did you continue with that at all? Or was that like the only time you did that job?
2: It was the only time I did that job. When the season was done, I went out and tried to look for a couple of other script coordinating jobs. And I told myself if I can't find one by the time that like my hiatus would traditionally be over, then I'm gonna jump back into casting. And so I, I interviewed for a couple of like big shows, um, didn't get it. And then an opportunity with Amber Horn and Daniel Lafiero presented itself to me as an associate casting director. Um, and so I jumped on that. Um, and I so I sort of like did a brief one year out of casting, but uh, then when I, and I told myself, if I go, I want the title bump from casting assistant to associate casting director. And so that's what I was able to do uh, when I landed at the office that I'm currently at with Amber and Danielle,
3: we love them. Yes, we're loved.
1: <laughs> good choice. So, speaking of other other jobs that you've done in the past, we also saw that you were a waiter at a restaurant on Kitchen Nightmares. Here it goes. I'm- <laughs> Caitlin for this, we want to know. <laughs> I'm <that> sorry. <laughs> ex- we want to know what that experience was like and how often you get recognized for it.
0: You I answer. saw that I saw that episode so long ago, and I, think I didn't did even know that I had seen you before. So,
3: but I the reason that I looked into this is because on every Instagram post, someone asks, "Is that the guy from Kitchen <laughs> <Bears?">
1: <laughs> So I'm sorry, but we had to. I guess blame Instagram and
2: Caitlin. Um. Yeah. So I was in. I was in conservatory at the time and I worked at the black Pearl and we, the show got chosen and they were going to film for like a week and a half, two weeks. And I mean, ultimately it was you either work and be on the show or you take two weeks off of work. And I was a college student living paycheck to paycheck. Like I couldn't not work for two weeks. Um, so I was on the show. Uh, it was a very interesting experience to shoot. Um, I really loved working there. So it was, it's, I look back at it at like a fond memory. Um, I definitely get more right after it aired. I got, um, I got recognized a lot. Uh, it's been, there's like some video out there that's on like Facebook. That's sort of like a bunch of my clips. And so it's like, I can always tell when that recirculates or when the episode re airs. Cause like a lot of people from high school, all of a sudden are like, finding me on facebook and messaging me being like oh my god is this you and oh
0: my God,
2: but yeah so i did that and then about a year later we did uh like a a follow-up episode where it was just gordon and i um but yeah it was it was an interesting experience but it was i i definitely did work there and i loved working there um but we i it it was really just because i couldn't take the time off of work um (laughs) and when you, when you look back and I, I think when things work out it's easier to look back and be like oh it all happened the way it was supposed to but i would the black pearl was the restaurant that closed that closed right when the economy collapsed in 08 and that's what forced me to like really try to like figure stuff out and then that's when i got the job at nbc so it's sort of funny how it all kind of works out but yeah i'm definitely on it and it also you know it's interesting when you see what was presented on tv versus your lived experience
0: totally um,
2: that's the thing i was like curious about <laughs> yeah i was like can i
0: ask
3: more questions because that's the big one
2: yeah i mean i i guess the thing with unscripted tv in depending on the genre is there it's us really reacting to the circumstances that are presented to us are the circumstances sometimes contrived? I think so. Um, I don't know that for sure, but I, I definitely think that, you know, the show tries to build in moments and then how do we really react and really respond to those moments? Um, but yeah, I think it's also very easy for me to say, I got a really good edit, even though like, you know, there's a you moment- the that the best part. Thank you. There's a moment <laughs> I'm really embarrassed by, but I'm like, okay yeah they they sort of made that in the edit and that it is what it is um but overall i got a good edit so i think i'm very happy with my with my experience but there's also like a moment with david because like he was the villain he was one of the bad guys and they edited a moment where he made a joke in real life and we all laughed because we all knew it was a joke and then in the edit they made it seem like he meant it seriously and on the one hand it's like okay that's not really what happened but on the other it's like they're crafting a narrative and they couldn't craft a narrative if there wasn't enough there to make that narrative stick um but it was it was lovely and wonderful and gordon is really you know i his brand is being angry and mean but he's a very nice person i think he's just passionate about what he believes and when you're a regular human being out in the world i think we like hamper in that and we're just like no i'm in public i'm gonna act right and i think because it's a tv show like gordon just allows himself to go there um in a way that we don't normally but he was always lovely and wonderful with me i have a terrible photo of us together that i took on my like blackberry um but he was he yeah it was it was a fun experience overall
3: my favorite part of that episode was when one of the owners asked what's up and the other one said, well, he likes Steven, that's all I know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he did seem to like you, so. I, I can it. be charming
2: sometimes.
3: All the <laughs> time. Um,
2: Gosh.
3: But we'll, we'll give you a break from Kitchen Nightmares because it might show up in your nightmares at one point. <laughs> But while preparing for this interview, I read that you wrote a book on finance for teens. How did you go from the finance industry to the entertainment industry?
2: So I'd always wanted to be involved in entertainment. I did a bunch, I did all the school plays and community theater. And my very first job, I worked at a Steelers bar in Arizona as a busboy. And, you know, it's just like, that wasn't really the thing I wanted to do, you know? I mean, at, at, at least be a server, like you're making more money as a server, but I was in high school and I was limited in my hours that I could work too. And I was just like complaining when I went to the bank one day and they were like, well, you should apply to work here. And so I did. Um, So I worked for a big national bank uh, from essentially the summer between my sophomore and junior year in high school until my second semester of first year of college. And I really, like I did well with it. I was good at math. Like I worked at a a banking center that was inside of a grocery store. So I was, we had extended hours. So I worked Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Um, So I was still able to do drama club and student council and all the school stuff. And I was able to make, you know, get in my hours every week. Um, And I just learned a lot about personal finance from that and seeing the mistakes that a lot of people make and then in my senior year in econ we spent i think like three or four days on personal finance and that's it and it was an easy topic for me because at this point i'd work at the bank for a couple of years but if other people don't not everybody has that experience of working at a bank and so i was seeing a lot of my peers make a lot of mistakes and i was always giving unasked for financial advice um And I was just like, oh, you should do this or this, or like my biggest thing is when people use their debit card and they run it as credit and they're like, oh, this is my credit card. No, it's not, it's your debit card. You're just running it as credit. And the differences between a debit card and a credit card are very, very different and drastic. And so I was always telling people and they were like, oh, you know, you should write a book, you should write a book, Um, trying to learn from those experiences and then I was, uh, in my first year uh, uh, in college, I had quit the bank and it was like a really slow, and I, I was a, a busboy at a ale house that was like right next to my dorms. And it was like a really slow, rainy Tuesday night. I think we had one table the entire night um, and I was bored. And so I just used a lot of like receipt paper and just started like drafting out what it could be, what would be the chapters, what would be the subjects. And then I just sort of like did the thing Um, and it really covers like the basics of banking because people learn banking from their parents and from school. Well, my school didn't really do much. And luckily my parents have a good financial like sense. So I learned from them as well, but not everybody has that. And so if you are a person that has bad financial habits and you have a child and they're learning their financial habits from you, you're just passing it on. And so I really wanted this book to come from you know, a young person's experience about the financial struggles that they're going to be dealing with as a young person. So I sort of made it in that sense of really trying to like help, help people who don't know, because some of it to me is really basic, but I, again, I worked at a bank. And so if I can help share the basics of banking with people, then, then it like, I don't know, I see it as a little bit of like a public service.
0: No, that's amazing because people don't have that as, as teenagers a lot at all. Like, I know I didn't and even even though I did take a class where they were like here's how you write a check that was about the extent of it (laughs) they didn't like teach us like any of the real the real things you need to know so it's awesome that you did that
3: I did have a personal finance class and we learned about like the stock market we did like these this fake stock game where it was like the actual (laughs) stock market but it was yeah um but I was always obsessed with money and learning as much i was obsessed with a credit my credit score before i could even have one so by the time i got to my first year in college i was teaching my friends about credit cards in the middle of our food court so that's yeah. <laughs> that's
1: the person i was
2: <laughs> no i'm a bit same and then it's and then and, and then it's just wild when you're like oh i'm the one giving them this information why haven't we as a society done a better job of teaching people about it like it's it really is i think shameful and doesn't set a lot of people up for success
0: yeah we all needed a caitlin or a steven when we were like 17.
2: <laughs> honestly
0: <laughs> um big switching gears so i'm just curious if you have any favorite, um favorite not that you've casted particularly but any out in the world favorite um lgbtq plus roles that have that have been on tv recently like in say like the last five years or representation
2: i mean i really loved it's a sin on hbo max starring ali alexander um i thought the cast was well done i thought the show was well done i was very angry at the end of it um (laughs) but it really i i think that show did such a good job of sort of like showing showing a a different way of tackling the hiv aids experience and not like the way that you traditionally see it um i really really liked fire island on hulu i thought that that was really great with a lot of like representation and you know with within the gay community there's a lot of representation that is lacking. And so to see a lot of that intersectional representation in that movie, um, I enjoyed Bros. I think that it was really important for queer people to go and see the movie and support that movie in theaters. Um, and I know it didn't do as well as others had hoped, but I think one of the things that the gay community doesn't quite realize is like, yes, we have a lot of acceptance and representation right now. And so I think in our own privilege, we feel like we don't need to go support queer content, but if we're not gonna support queer content, it's harder, it's going to be harder for straight people to go and support that content, then we're just not going to make that content. And so I think that it's super important for the queer community to support shows with their dollars and with their views. Otherwise, our, our stories aren't going to continue to be told. And we're getting to a place where it's not just the coming out story and it's not just the HIV AIDS story. Like we are telling complicated, nuanced characters in um, stories that involve queer people. I think that that's super important. I also really loved Pose. I thought that show was really fantastic and very groundbreaking. Um, yeah, there's a lot of like good queer content out there that I'm really, really loving. I did a Hulu movie called Sex Appeal and uh, the main character has three moms. And so we cast Fortune Fiendster and Margaret Cho and- uh, <laughs> Yes! Dr. And it was just like lovely and wonderful and you know, and then in a world where we want to talk about like representation, Rebecca Henderson's character in um, Single Drunk Female or her character in Russian Doll is a queer woman, but like, it's not about her being, she just is. Right. And she's friends with Natasha Leone. So it's like, it, 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 that's a place where it's like, it's not about them being it, they just are it. And I think that's the best way to sort of like, how you how it all fits in because it's not about them that they just happen to be that and that's where i think it feels natural and organic and real um so yeah so those are those are a few of my favorites
0: so are there any that you think didn't do it well recently that are uh, harmful in any way or just annoying
2: um i don't know it's always kind of like annoying, Uh, where I come from, like, I watch something, you're like, oh, that person's straight, cool, telling our story. Um, But I know it's a complicated, you know, balance of star power and right for the role. And look, I've seen straight people play gay really well. So, you know, it's it's all that. I, I don't think there's anything I would pinpoint specifically. But I'm sure there's stuff out there that I like, I've rolled my eyes at. And then I just go, oh, well, like, you know, at a certain point, I'm not going to keep really, I'm not going to rail against the show because ultimately the first step is, it's at least a queer story being told. That's that's important. So Absolutely. just like there wasn't any gay person available for that role.
0: Um, <laughs> not in the world. There's no gay, <laughs> more, no more gay people that are oh, acting God. in the world.
2: But I, I think that, like, I, I I do try to step back and appreciate that at least a queer story is being told, and I'm like, all right, cool. Now, and also, it's about progress, not perfection. So you know, let's let's work towards that, and I and I appreciate that we're you know that we're pushing towards it.
3: You have anything, Brie? No, go go. I have a question about Disney. So historically, there are always like. Not representative at all. Like, don't talk about the LGBT community. But recently, we've seen that change. Like, of course, you casted Andy Mac, and you helped, or you did cast Zombies Three with Terry Hu.
2: Mhm.
3: Do you see them being more open to these stories and casting these people?
2: I definitely do. Um. You know, one of the things that, Gary mentioned this at a, at a dinner about Indie Mac, was that he told Terry or Showrunner that like essentially Disney has been operating, the example he used, like he's been operating in a, like a, if you imagine they're operating in a circle. So as long as she keeps one foot in the circle, the other foot can be outside of the circle. And so that there's like progress in that respect. And then for Zombies Three, it was very much a concerted effort that they wanted the the head alien to be someone who was trans or non-binary. They were like, if we can't find it, we are open to anybody from the LGBTQ community, but we really want someone to we really want this character to be trans or non-binary. And so that was our goal. But again, like I saw a whole bunch of people. Um, that were in in the umbrella. And I was very happy that we were able to get Terry. I thought Terry is, I think they are fantastic. I thought they were great in the movie. Um, And I was a little nervous because uh, Kira, the other, uh, one of the other zombies uh, alongside Matt Cornette, she's queer. And so I was, but we all loved her. And I was nervous that they were gonna say, well, you already have your LGBTQ character. We're not having two. And luckily, they didn't. Kira was the best person, especially with Terry and Matt. Like, the three of them just had the right chemistry. And so we were, So for me, I'm like, oh, great. I was able to cast two people from my community um, in these three roles. Um, so yeah, I think they're definitely more open to it. I think there's a level of just like, things are shifting societally. Um, after we did Zombies, Io Davis took over as the CEO of Disney Channel um she's a new generation um and so i think that they are open to exploring it because they're lgbtqia kids are were they're around and so i think that like being able to speak to that is important for them and i think they realize that you know we're not going anywhere and so it's worth it to embrace that community
3: have you seen that frequently where they're like oh you have already won this type of person you already have you can't have another
2: one i mean yes and no so and to be fair nobody ever said that at disney like i was just nervous that they were going to say that because you know just as a gay person you get nervous that like people are like oh it's too much um but i mean there's definitely been okay like my example a different example which i think kind of addresses the question on andy mac we throughout the series we cast um a couple of officers and it just so happened that like all the officers that i hired were women and so in the third season there was another cop and and disney was like you need to hire a man for this because like there are men on the police force in this town too so like so there's that sometimes we will take a bird's eye view (laughs) and be like what do we have what don't we have you know to try to like make sure that we're kind of covering all of our bases. so I've usually only had that conversation in that capacity of just making sure we aren't forgetting about somebody or a community. But I've never, I've never had a direct like, no, there's already a queer person here, so you can't have another one. Um, so at least not expressly, at least not with me. And maybe people don't don't want to have that conversation with me because they know that I would clap back, and so maybe they, you know, just just give in. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I love it. And I love you. It was bound to, I was bound to say it at some point.
0: <laughs> <laughs> she was. Um, so that's pretty much all the questions we have, even though we could ask you things all like for hours and hours. But yes. um, <clears throat> do you have any final words for our listeners at home before we wrap everything up?
2: Um, register to vote. Please vote in your local, state, and federal elections. um, I think that the power of the people really spoke in the midterm elections, and so I think it's very important to vote, so everybody should vote. If your vote did not matter, people wouldn't be trying to get you to not vote so bad. Um, If you're an actor or a creative, remember to keep and find the joy and the fun in what you're doing know that when you walk into a room the casting director wants you to be it you make our jobs easier if you are it because then i don't have to keep looking for it um and remember to have fun be prepared be on time be fun to work with that's the only thing in your control um and yeah uh just be kind to one another
0: <laughs> very good advice <laughs> yeah I think it's <laughs> something that so we second <laughs> all of that but so thank you for talking with us today we really appreciate it and we loved getting to know you and your job a little better uh, and to everyone listening or watching make sure to check out steven's projects like best foot forward which is streaming on apple go do it right right now we'll dope. watch the rest of this but
2: anyway um we'll see you next time yeah thank you for having me
1: Anytime. Yeah. And with that, we've been Big Gay Energy. If you like this episode, check out all of our other episodes on whatever you're using to listen right now. Please subscribe and like all the things. If you happen to be listening on Apple, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review, no matter how brief. This is what Apple uses in their algorithm to uh, help us gain a wider audience. So please, please, please help us out.
0: Yes, and please feel free to reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you about everything and anything. And if we like it, we'll probably give you a shout out on the air. You can find us at all the things. Twitter at Big Gay Energy Pod. Tumblr, Big Gay Energy Pod. Instagram, Big Gay Energy Pod. Or you can email us at biggayenergypod at gmail.com. Until next time, stay safe and
1: hydrate for Lesbian Jesus.